I want the food to feel like it's warm when it hits the table, feel like the chefs have touched every plate and really feel like, how can I make this taste to me? You feel like a home cooked meal, like somebody just intentionally cooked this for you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There's a change sweeping across the hospitality sector globally. It's not just the new wave of talent carving a new path. It's about shaping a new kind of culture in the industry, a culture that is more inclusive, nurturing, and offers balance amidst the traditional chaos of the kitchen. Charlie Mitchell is the executive chef and owner of Clover Hill in Brooklyn Heights, New York City. Charlie, how are you? I'm very well. I'm very well. How are you? Love to be here. It's good to have you on the show. It's been a pretty crazy couple of years, but what's things like in New York at the moment? Uh, I mean, things are good right now. You know, I feel like we, you know, over the course of the last maybe year, year and a half, we felt the city come back slowly, you know, and I think the dining scene has really come back for us and restaurants are busy again and bars are open late again and it feels good in the city right now. Clover Hills described as a um, new American restaurant. Tell us a bit about what that means and what um, new American is. Oh, well, I mean, I think it's just a way for people to understand that, you know, a little bit like all inclusive, you know, like, you know, we didn't want to commit to just being like, oh, you know, French restaurant or Italian restaurant or strictly seafood restaurant. We wanted to, you know, myself, I wanted to be able to have some creative freedom, you know what I mean? And of just serving what I wanted or what I felt in the moment. And I think that's like the best way to get people to understand that, (laughs) you know, is to go like, hey, we're new American, modern American, you know. What's it been like trying to change um, change that in the industry? It's it's an industry that's known for um, all sorts of challenges and uh, and all sorts of sort of racial and ethnic uh, issues. Um, but the diversity is incredible. What's it been like trying to sort of change that? Uh, I mean, for us, it's been a good time. You know, like you know, myself and the other two owners are definitely men of color and. You know, for us, it wasn't our primary focus when we first opened this place. We kind of just just wanted to get at it. And then as we went along the journey, we kind of realized, you know, the impact we could have and what it could mean to other people who are watching us. You know, so for us, honestly, it's just been fun. You know, it's just been like a challenge we took on to just perform at a high level. And it's just been a really good time. You've been getting uh, a lot of accolades. What's the, what's the last year been like in regards to sort of having that freedom on the plate, but but getting the recognition as well? <laughs> I mean, it's been unbelievable, honestly. You know, and I think, you know, it's been unbelievable for the Clover Hill team just because, you know, opening restaurants can be very tough, you know. But, you know, for me, I think as chefs, you know, you put in so much work, so many hours, you know, from your days of being a prep cook or Comey or whatever, you put in so much work and so much time into this thing that it's, it's nice to get some feedback that, you know, you love to hear, you know? So it's been awesome. I want to explore what you're doing at Clover Hill and particularly your approach to cookery and your ethos there. But take us back to when you were young. What sort of role did food play in your family? Oh, I mean, like the biggest, you know, I mean, I come from a large family, you know, very typical, like, you know, grandmother led, you know, she was always like the matriarch of the family and she was always the, the chef in the family and, you know, grandkids, you spend a lot of time with your grandparents because your parents work or whatnot. And it was like the biggest role, you know, so I spent a lot of time with her. You know, she inspired me a lot. I spent a lot of time like helping her out or, 
you know, trying to taste her food. And, you know, it was always like um, a good fellowship, if you will. You know, like we always knew that like her home was some place we could always go and have a great meal. And that just kicked, you know, kicked off my love for food as a youngin. you know. Are there any feasts or dishes that you remember from when you were, you were young that you can share? Oh, for sure. I mean, like, for example, like right now I have a dish with, you know, collard greens. You know, like my grandmother's from the South. You know, she's from Georgia. So I've always been inspired by like her collard greens are one of my favorite things to eat in the world. So I got really good at making them, <laughs> you know, you know, um, something like that is always I always throw that onto my menus or, you know, her fried fish and her love for, you know, the way she would fry it has always been something that stuck with me. You know, and then like the small things like traditional things, you know, potato salad, mac and cheese or cornbread, like all of those things really, really stuck with me, you know, and I, I cook with it more at home than I do at work, but you know, every now and then I, I'll, I'll pull something out. <laughs> what lured you to a career in hospitality? Uh, I mean, I've always just loved it. Like I said, like, you know, being with her and then, you know, we watched a lot of like food network <laughs> as a kid and, I used to be in like, you know, it's a very cheesy story, but like I was in love with like, I was in love with it, you know, and I was in love with like Iron Chef more importantly, because I thought that's where the, the cool kids were, you know, so it just was always something that piqued my interest. And then once I got into it, you know, um, I just stuck with it, you know, I stuck with it. I mean, it started out just all about food and then it, I think it eventually it moved into like hospitality and like creating an experience, you know. Tell us about those first sort of steps into the industry. Do you have any stories of what those first couple of years were like for you? <laughs> oh, yeah, they were rough, man. <laughs> they were, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I'm from, De- I'm from Detroit, so there was no, like, I, I didn't know the first thing about getting into fine dining. You know, I wasn't advised on, like, the great culinary schools coming from where I'm from. So my first job was at, like, a bar and grill that I thought was fancy, and it was the opposite, you know? So it was, like, just like a young kid being in this, like, almost kind of like raunchy like kitchen confidential type vibe you know and that's what I spent like my first year and then eventually I was like okay this is not working I flipped enough burgers I fried enough chicken wings like this is not fine dining and then I was able to get my first real job and you know at a place out outside of the city and then I was like man you're way in over your head you know like in over your head dude and you know next thing you know I was working 70 hours a week and my family was confused, but, you know, I just stuck with it, you know. Take us back into that kitchen when you um, sort of started to realize the, the craft that's involved uh, in sort of finer dining. Do you have any stories of the of what you took from that time? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like my chef, you know, his name is Nick and one of my best friends, John, you know, we were cooks together and they were just so persistent and they had like a way that they wanted everything you know and it really caught me off guard and I remember one of my funniest stories I, I was like started as a lunch cook and I remember my chef came in like yo you're making family meal today and I was kind of like well what's that and he's like you know lunch for the staff and I'm like okay and he's like I want you to make soup and I just like freaked out because I was like dude I don't know the first thing about making soup properly you know what I mean like I, you know at this point in my career I don't even know how to make chicken stock man like I, I just showed up you know and I'm just like freaking out I asked my friend for advice and asked him telling me what to do and he's just like dude like just make soup and then I ended up making this like watery soup with like radishes and I think pork belly or I think like pork shoulder or something like that and it was like really bad and they made fun of me for a long time <laughs> a long time what was it like at a young age making that move to New York City uh I mean 
it was necessary, but you know, it's always kind of scary. You know, like I was, I think I moved here when I was 24, going on 25, and I was, you know, I had no family here, I had no friends here, I had one friend here rather, and it was a leap of faith. You know, I moved here with maybe, maybe twenty five hundred dollars in two suitcases. You know, and I had a job lined up, and it was my first time like being away from my family and. I just was like, hey, I'm going to stand on my own, too. So it was terrifying at first, but I just allowed the restaurant culture to, like, really suck me into it, you know? And I made a lot of friends, and I, I bought into the camaraderie of great restaurants, and, like, you know, they were able to help me along, you know, so, so, so much, you know? How important is that camaraderie when you're trying to build your career and that kind of family that you can develop within a restaurant? I mean, it's so important, you know, like I, I even say it now I preach it to my team, you know, I, I look at kitchens like, like sports teams almost, you know, like you, you, you have to, you have to have this culture where we all have to understand that we're trying to move this one thing together, you know, and if you can get that in your kitchen, if you can get like this team of people who want to believe in a product and who believe in where the restaurant's going, whether it's because it helps their resume or because they actually love the food or for whatever reason, if you can get everyone to buy into it, you know, like that's how you have a great restaurant. You know, and everyone has to believe in it. Otherwise, you know, I think that's where things can falter, you know. In those early years in, in New York, what were the sort of the venues or the people that you worked with that really helped um, you carve your sort of path and career? Oh, well, I would say like my first job, you know, my first job, Bedney, although they closed while I was there. Like, I think that kitchen culture has stuck with me like almost the most, you know, I thought the cooks, we were very, very close together and. We all, like, worked extremely hard. We wanted to be, like, the fastest-moving kitchen in the city. We wanted to be the cleanest kitchen in the city. So I think that one stuck with me because that was, like, my first impression of the city. And then from there, I mean, like, obviously, like, 11 Madison Park, like, it's going to be impressionable, right? <laughs> like, if you work there even for one week, one, for one week, like, that place is going to stick with you forever. Um, you know, just because they have, like, the pedigree, you know? Like, they have it, you know, they have it where recipes are dialed in the kitchen culture is dialed in they have an expectation and it's just like their way or the highway you know and i loved it you know i thought it made the most sense you know i thought it really showed me taught me how to work be professional and how to carry myself differently and like i'll take that with me for forever what, what sort of impact did those establishments had on on your thoughts for your own cookery um well a lot of the styles of food they did there didn't really – some of it was things I love doing, like cool techniques, and some things were not my style necessarily. You know, like I don't – like I love cool things. I love cool techniques, but I'm on the low end of manipulation, I would say. You know, like I love – I love the food to feel like it's cooked, if that makes sense. <laughs> you know, like I want you to be able to – I want the food to feel like it's – warm when it hits the table feel like the chefs have touched every plate and really feel like like how like how can i make this taste to me you feel like a home cooked meal like somebody just intentionally cooked this for you it's kind of what i try to get across on the plate you know and like you know they they taught me more so like the standard but i think over time i've been able to kind of like see what i want to do kind of on my own the farm to uh, table ethos and, and restaurants have been a real feature of the last sort of decade globally. And you, you uh, were involved in, in one in Greenwich Village. Take us back to that time. Do you have any stories of um, the things that you took from there? Yeah, I mean, I, I hit my head a lot. <laughs> like, 
you know, that, 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 that restaurant, it basically what happened was me and a friend of mine were kind of like co-chefing it, you know, and I, I kind of tried to lead the charge on the cuisine where he was doing, you know, like the other half of the chef's job and trying to like run the restaurant a little bit. But it just allowed both of us to just go after it at a place in New York City and like put dishes on the menu, R&D, realize what works, what doesn't work see how hard it is to create a culture, how hard it is to create systems, how hard it is to create consistency, you know? And it just made, it just opened my eyes to like, man, like it's really hard work to be a great chef, you know? And so we had a lot of fun and we cooked a lot of, a lot of good food, a lot of great food, but like the way we ran the place was like a, a more of a learning experience. The last couple of years you've moved around a little bit. You moved out of New York to, to Washington, D.C. and and back again. T- take us through the last couple of years and, and what it's been like for you. Well, I mean, like, like, obviously COVID was rough, right? Like, as a chef, you know, we didn't know what was happening. Uh, so I ended up in D.C. because I had a great friend of mine who is now my sous chef here. You know, he was like, listen, man, like, get out your mom's house come out here to DC, we're cooking and we're like opening this restaurant. And I was like, okay, fine. You know? And, and then in my time in DC, I just, honestly, we were working so, so much. It just like re-inspired me again. Like, Hey man, like this is, this can still work. You can still stick with this career path. Don't let the world distract you too much from it. If you just keep your head down and keep cooking, like you'll be okay. And like, that's what we did. We just spent a lot of hours in the kitchen. I mean, we were probably doing 16 hour days in COVID when most kitchens, most kitchens weren't, you know, wearing a mask all day. But, you know, we did it because we just like all love cooking, you know, and that place just really kept my wheels turning. It kept me thinking about food. It it kept me inspired throughout the pandemic. And I feel like that's what I needed most, you know. And then and after that, I just love New York City so much. I had to come back <laughs> like I had to come back, you know, like I, I, I couldn't stay away too long. This is home. Well, tell us a bit about New York City and sort of your New York City. What what do you love about it so much? I mean, I just think it's it's like the land of opportunity, you know? Like, I I mean, first and foremost, I love people, so I don't mind being around all the people. I love the mix of cultures they have here. Like, I I didn't grow up with a mix of cultures the way we do here, so I love that. And then it's like, man, if you can, if it's anything you want to be, you know, from a street artist to, you know, a politician, like, you can do it here. And I think that that's inspiring, you know, like, so it's a place where we can all make it, you know, and I think it's also one of the hardest industries to make it in. So as a chef, I'm a little competitive in a sense of like, I want to see where I measure up against the greats, you know. So, I, you know, that's, that's the truth. I, I definitely want to be in a city where I'm taken very serious. So, but I just love this place. It's great. If you can make it here, you know, you can do it anywhere. Tell us how Clover Hill uh, began for you. Uh, pretty random, actually. I was actually leaving a job that I took to move back here. I was unemployed at the time. And the cl- the owner, one of the owners, Clay, randomly texted me. You know, after two years of COVID, he randomly texted me, like, hey, man, what are you up to? And I was like, well, actually, nothing. What's up? You know, and then we had a conversation over coffee, I think, the very next day. And, you know, we just realized that we both were inspired and we both had goals that aligned and we both wanted to just like work hard and do something cool so it it actually happened pretty quick you know and then we kind of hit the ground running and then like opening this place you know it's it was definitely like an independent small restaurant opening you know like it's really just us you know like there's no there's no person emailing us about our budgets there's not 
you know, like we're doing everything ourselves, you know, so it's been an awesome experience, but like definitely a learning experience for sure. Well, tell us about those challenges. What's it been like for you striking that balance with creativity and, and getting your voice on the plate as well as sort of the business side of things? I mean, it's been hard. Like I've learned, like, you know, this is my first executive chef job. You know, I've been sous chefs and executive sous chefs and I had like a CDC role, but like this has taught me, you know, like some days my biggest problem was like getting the trash picked up on time or, you know, or a, a porter not showing up or, you know, the, the power shorting in the basement. And, you know, meanwhile, you're thinking about on Instagram, you know, it looks like all chefs do is play pretty food, you know, and you're just like, man, I just, you know, the building won't let me keep my, my grease trap outside, you know, like there's like things that I learned that embody the chef position that I had to learn the hard way very fast. And for us too, like we're small, you know, we didn't have a lot of like PR, a lot of articles, nobody knew my name. So like summer was very rough, like summer was very rough for us, you know, to be honest, like we were extremely slow. And I always say like the only thing harder than running a busy restaurant is running a slow restaurant, right? Because, you know, you have challenges you face as a chef of like labor, like having cooks here or not. And maybe like cost of ingredients thinking about hey should i should i make my ingredients cheaper should i you know hold the fish for one more day should i change my standards you know like you you have all these questions going along in your head when you're you're doing four covers you know so we and him had a lot of long conversations at night you know we had a lot of long conversations and i one thing i always told him was like listen if we just stick with it it'll work you know if we if we stick with it if we believe in our product like it'll work and it did, you know, we stuck with it and it seems to be working right now. <laughs> like where it seems to be working. You've got a, a passion for seasonal and local ingredients. Do, do you have any stories of the connections that you've made with, um, with growers and people who supply the restaurant? Uh, I mean, I think my biggest, you know, my biggest hurdle has been like trying to separate myself a little bit, to be honest, you know, like. Like you said, I've done the local. I've done a lot of local cooking. I've done a lot of farm-to-table cooking, and I wanted to kind of expand on that and try to bring, you know, to this area in Brooklyn, like some things they would only get in Manhattan, you know. So some of my f- craziest moments have been just in communications with a lot of our like Japanese fish purveyors, you know, and learning the learning the way that they work and how intense they are and how how dedicated they are and how. Uh, sometimes the language barrier gets in our way, <laughs> but we figure it out, you know, and that's, those, that has been like my biggest learning curve is like how they work, uh, so different from a lot of these like local fish purveyors and these people that we have, a, 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 have in the city, you know, and it's been great. You know, I've learned a lot from them and it makes a lot of sense how, how they behave, you know. Tell us a little bit about your, your cooking ethos and, um, what you're doing there at Clover Hill. Well, for me, it's like, it's very ingredient focused, you know, like not just, it doesn't mean expensive ingredients, it just means like good ingredients, like from good farms, good purveyors who take care of their food and get things that taste good. So we get great ingredients. And then I like to call it like very like honest cooking, you know, like very intentional and very like, hey, let's all be honest with ourselves. Is it delicious? Are we doing it the right way? You know, let's follow the recipe step by step. Let's all be very true to what we're trying to do. And then then it'll show on the plate. You know, like I'm not trying to make a a mushroom into something else, but like let's 
make this mushroom the po best possible version of itself it can be right now, you know? And I think if we continue to do that, all of a sudden you have like a bunch of delicious dishes on the menu, you know what I mean? Um, so that's what, it, that's what, it, what it's been about, you know? Is there a dish or two that you can tell us about that really exemplifies this approach that you have? Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of my favorite dishes right now is uh, we have our scallop dish. You know, it's kind of like a, a semi-raw scallop dish that we just get in gray scallops. We just lightly sear them, slice them, and then we serve it with, you know, beautiful pears that we just like. We make a veloute out of the pears, and we also put some pears in the dish raw. And then we do two different types of mushrooms, or we do we braise some black trumpet mushrooms, and then we shave over some raw matsutake mushrooms. And to me, it just shows like it's very fun with textures, but like it shows like hey, like this mushroom is best if it's braised, so that's why we braise it. And like this mushroom is very special raw, so that's why we serve it raw. And then it shows like how versatile the pear can be. Like most people don't see like a pear sauce or a pear soup. You know, and then we also have it in its truest form, which is like a raw, just like pear wedge in there. And then you have like the beautiful scallop that just shines on its own, you know. So it, it, it can seem like a lot of work, but it's really like, hey, let these ingredients like shine and put them together in a, way, in a way that a home cook wouldn't put them together. Like that's what makes it special, right? New York has um, got wonderful uh, areas that are so different to each other within it tell us a little bit about brooklyn heights and and um and the food scene in that area yeah well we didn't so brooklyn heights is a very family oriented neighborhood you know it's a lot of a lot of families and uh professionals but you know when clay took over the space there used to be a cafe back in the day and we felt like there was no it's, it's family oriented but it's a very like high income neighborhood right but you know we felt this community had no place to go out and go to a restaurant that could match like their lifestyle if that makes sense you know like they didn't have a beautiful restaurant in their neighborhood they, ha they didn't have a place they can go to and drink beautiful wine or have a taste menu or do these things they all had to go off to manhattan and we wanted to bring something here that could be a neighborhood restaurant but a neighborhood restaurant for people who want this type of experience in their neighborhood um and we felt like for the rest of everybody else here that this is kind of it's kind of cute. It's kind of it's almost like a destination place. Like it's only you only if you, unless you live in Brooklyn Heights, you never really come here. And we wanted to be the reason why people come to Brooklyn Heights now. Like, hey, I heard it's a great neighborhood out in Brooklyn Heights. So I have to make my way out there, you know. And that was something that we thought was special. You mentioned it's the first time that you're in this role. Um, what sort of impact has it had on you? Has it has it changed you as you've developed and expressed yourself on the plate? Yeah, for sure. It, it has changed me a lot, you know, and it's also made me slow down a little bit. You know, it's made me like I've had to learn how to not move so fast and learn how to, you know, nurture dishes, nurture the cuisine and just try to come in and be on top of everything and get better every day still. You know, I feel like I always tell people that it's multiple it's almost like multiple journeys to being a chef, you know, like maybe you're, you were a cook, so you learn how to be a line cook, and then you had to learn how to be a sous chef, and then you had to learn how to be a sous chef over other sous chefs, and then you have to learn how to be like the chef, and now I'm entering a realm where it's just so much about it being an executive chef that I did not know, you know, and I like to tell people now, like, I'm still learning every single day about how to be a great chef, because like, I'm not necessarily there yet, 
you know, these, these guys are 20 years, 25 years in, you know, and I'm not, I'm only what, nine, 10 years next year, you know? At the top of the show, we mentioned that you, you have a focus on sort of changing the culture to be more inclusive and nurturing and, um, given the experience that you've had in, um, such, um, incredible kitchens and the way things have changed, what's your approach with your staff to get the best out of them? Uh, I'm just trying to create a learning environment, you know, like, like a learning environment and like camaraderie, you know, and I, I want people to feel like they can come here and actually ask questions and like learn and ask me anything. I want to try to make sure we get people. I try my best to hire people here who want to be chefs or business owners, you know, and I feel like if you want if you walk in here and you want to be a chef or a business owner, then I want to teach you the ins and outs of having that restaurant and like nurturing and like understanding like why this ingredient is expensive and why we treat it this way and why we charge this much for it. And also like, Hey, understand like how much it costs to get your trash picked up, how much it costs to get your grease picked up. You know what I mean? Like we want to train, we want to train leaders, you know, not just get people in here just to peel the shallots and then like send them home. You know, that's not what we want. We want people in here that want to grow. You're making a real name for yourself with Clover Hill and making an incredible impact. Dude, what, what are your plans for the next couple of years? <laughs> uh, well, I think for the next year or so, for sure, we're just trying to stay grounded and keep doing a good job. Um, but obviously, you know, I would be lying if I didn't say we want to do another project eventually, right? Like that's what we're all are in it for, you know? Um, for me specifically, you know, like Clover Hill was something that I was brought into by the other owners, you know, as a partner. But, like, I still have this, like, desire to have, like, my own complete, like, brainchild one day, you know? So, hopefully, the next couple of years, I can put that plan in motion, you know? Well, uh, you're doing an amazing job of getting yourself on the map. What do you love about what you do? Uh, well, I think my favorite thing right now is, like, the interaction with the guests. You know, we have an open kitchen here. And I think the best part is like after a long day of prep and a crazy morning of emails and phone calls, and chasing down orders that, you know, during service that we can see physically see the impact we're having on the guests, you know, and I think that that is very inspiring and it's gratifying and it makes us feel like our hard work does matter. When someone comes to the past and tells us like, hey, this is a great meal. Everything was great. Thank you guys so much. And like, it's just, it's just great for us. So I think that's my favorite thing right now, you know? Well, Charlie, it's amazing what you're doing and we're honored to have you today on Deep in the Weeds to hear your story. Um, good luck with everything. Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon. All right. Thank you so much. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.